read uh, two, two scriptures this morning. Uh, first from Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And our second reading comes from uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It's just one verse. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your good word, word of truth that is life and hope to us and reveals to us who you are. We pray that you'd give us open hearts and give us your spirit as we think about caring for the children that you've given to our congregation and uh, to our community uh, and help us to be faithful, to disciple them and to love them. And we pray that you would guide us as a church as we look at the difficult topic of education this morning. And uh, so we pray that you would be our teacher and you'd apply the words that I speak now by your spirit into the lives and homes of everyone present here. Um, do this as our teacher, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in our final sermon of a five-part sermon series on Christian parenting. And uh, the topic that we have today is probably the one that causes me the most trepidation to talk about. Actually, this past year, we've had two sermons on excommunication, two sermons on divorce, hell, homosexuality, abortion, politics, spanking, (laughs) many difficult topics. And this is the one that really... I get nervous about, and the reason is because uh, we're talking about education, and and, uh, education is a topic that is notorious for dividing churches, and probably none of those other topics could divide a church, but this is the one that a church like ours really could uh, divide us, and, you know, we're a church that has a school in it, and this is a ministry that has uh, five staff members that uh, has a budget of $175,000 a a year. I mean, it's a huge part of our church's life. You may not even know that we have a school. You may not even know that that school is uh, is a ministry of our church because we never talk about it. I never talk about it. And it's because of being being afraid that is is, is education going to divide us? And so, you know, just like anything, whenever I think, oh, man, I don't want to talk about that, the Lord says, oh, well, that's the thing we're going to have a sermon on. We've got to talk about that now. And it's those difficult topics. We've got to face them. And so uh, it's a, education, it's a major question when it comes to Christian parenting. And so today we are going to speak about it. And probably the most important biblical principle about education is that the responsibility for educating children belongs to parents. And that's an important thing to say because we live in a society that is increasingly believes that the responsibility for educating children is the responsibility of the state. And of course, you know, Christian parents who are taking responsibility may say they may utilize resources from the state as they're taking responsibility for their their children. But uh, 
they have to know that the responsibility is ours. And you know, by the way, if I could just make one comment in this passage from Ephesians that we're going to talk about, it puts a special emphasis on the responsibility for dads. That fathers are to bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so what that means, of course, you know, we have many moms who are very smart and educated and they read a ton. And oftentimes it, the default is for the mom to do lots of thinking about education. And dads can have a tendency that, well, say, you know, well, whatever she says, I'm sure she's right. And of course, she's, you know, she, probably, she might be right. But it's a, there are a lot of difficult decisions that go into uh, thinking about education. So for both parents to be involved, both parents to be forming convictions about what is guiding us as a family and how are we thinking through this is important. And so today I'm going to do my best to lay before you the convictions that you should be considering as you make these decisions. And I just want you to know that I talk about these hard topics for us because I love you and I love the children in this church. And so we gotta, we got to face it, and I, my hope is that all of us would be challenged, but also we'd be unified. We'd have a way forward for us as a congregation. What is going to be the culture of thinking about education in our midst? And so uh, three points I want to make this morning, and uh, this is what they are. The first is why our children should have a Christian education. And at the end of that first point, most of you are going to think that I would say that no one should be in the public schools because there's going to be a pretty serious critique of the public schools in point one. Hold on. Wait for point two. You need to listen to the whole sermon, okay? So point one is why our children should have a Christian education, but point two is why our children should be in public schools. And so the third point is then why do we need each other? Because we're going to have a diversity of opinions and parents are taking responsibility to make these decisions together. How do we support one another? We're going to answer that question, okay? So three points this morning, and this is the first, why our children should have a Christian education. And two reasons for this that we see in the passages that I just read are these. That first, all knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of all learning and all knowledge. That's what the Bible tells us, that's what we believe as Christians. And so the second thing is that education then is at the heart of our mission as a church. Okay? So all knowledge is, uh, begins with the fear of the Lord, and so education is at the heart of our mission. So first, all knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. And you can see that in the beginning of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is probably the book that's about education in, in the whole Bible. You know, if you read the book of Proverbs, it, it starts with talking about a father teaching his son. And it's all about learning wisdom, learning about knowledge, about how you prepare a child to live in the world. And the book of Proverbs begins in verse 7 by saying that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction, which tells us that the foundation of knowledge is God himself. And the way that you can only learn, the only way that you can really learn and understand the world is by having a posture of humility towards God and towards his word. That is what leads to true knowledge and to truth. Now, before I speak more positively about Christian education, I want uh, to address the question of public schools. And, uh, you know, I know we have many families in, in the public schools in our, in our church, and I want to just say that these critiques are not to create any kind of stigma in our church against public schools. These are just things, whether you're in the public schools or not, these are things we have to face. 
And generally, when parents talk about their concerns about the public schools, generally they think of terms about uh, think of in terms of behavior prim uh, primarily. You know, so things like you know, they're gonna there's gonna be drugs and sex and partying, and then there's gonna be bullying. And so there's a protectiveness against the behaviors that are happening in the public schools. And that's certainly an important thing to think about. That's a very real thing. Maybe the primary formation that happens in school systems is not in the classroom and not from teachers, but from peer groups. Is that something? Of course, that we would that we should think in mind. But what's often less considered is the ideology of the public schools, because the public schools claim to be a neutral education. They give no preference to any religious background. The public schools would say, you know, we don't we don't prefer one religion to another, one worldview to a, to another. And as Christians, we have to say that that is impossible. You cannot have a neutral worldview. What is an education? What do we say education is as Christians? It's discipleship. You are giving children a vision for what the world is for, what it's about, what history is about, and what their place in the world is. And to think that you could do that without values, deep va undergirding values that under undergird that value system, of course there are profound values that have to inform every educational uh, program. And that's true of the public schools. And so the biggest concern that we should have as parents with a public education is actually not so much what public schools will say explicitly. There are some things that will be explicit. But the fact that God will not be mentioned at all. The, the teachers are forbidden from mentioning God or mentioning the Bible. He has to be completely removed from the education. And so you imagine a child for 13 years of their childhood 30 hours a week in their primary formation of learning about their vision for the world and their place in it, and God will not be mentioned, that is a training, that is a worldview that says that you can understand the world without God. And um, it's very subtle. And, you know, one of the things that we have to understand as, for, about ourselves is that our nature is want, wanting to believe that we can understand this world without God that we can live in this world without God. You know, if you read in the Old Testament when uh, God was bringing Israel into uh, the Promised Land after they led him out of slavery into Egypt, and he's like, I'm going to give you this great land, there's going to be all these vineyards, there's going to be these houses, but take care that you don't forget me. And you start thinking it was in your own strength and in your own power that you got this land because our tendency is to say, thank you, God, for all your blessings. I don't need you anymore. And, and so what happens is over the course of time, we drift away from our knowledge of the Lord. And so, of course, um, to say that I can understand the world without God is the opposite of what Christians believe. Christians would say God is the creator of the world. He is the one who is directing all history according to his purposes. And, uh, and if he's directing all history according to his purposes, how could I have a vision for the world and my place in it without mentioning God's name? That will teach me how to live in the world. And so what I'm afraid happens is that many parents, because they're primarily thinking about behavior, they think, you know, if my kids, maybe if they get into partying or something like that, maybe I'll, I'll do something, insert myself, maybe I'll take them out, because, and, and, and that may happen. But the way that people lose their faith is not that one day they stand up and decide to defy God. The way anyone loses their faith, it is through drifting. It is a very slow, subtle process where they realize one day that over the last several years, I've been hardening myself towards God, and I don't believe anymore. I don't believe in the church. I don't believe in the Bible, and I just don't care. 
And that's the thing that I think that we should be guarded against. And so there's the subtle message that God, you don't need God. But then you combine that with the more explicit message about the church. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, um, our schools increasingly believe and teach that the sexual ethics of the church, the sexual ethics of the church are not only wrong, but they are um, harmful. That what the church is doing to people is, is harmful. And so, for example, a, uh, um, the kindergarten curriculum of Washington State includes teaching about understanding that there are many ways to express gender. In fourth grade, the defining of sexual orientation, the training in the freedom of sexual ethics, which in the, we understand as Christians, we live in a pluralistic society. All kinds of people believe different things, and we don't think that everyone has to believe just like the, us or that we should impose our beliefs on other people. But it's another thing to say that an institution which is explicitly hostile to the ethics of the Bible would be entrusted with the formation of our children. That's alarm should go off for us. I'll just tell you, as someone, I went to a public school, and my, the story of the church that I grew up with was that basically in the ancient world, there were these great civilizations, the Greco-Roman civilizations. And they had, you know, had all, you know, all this learning and this great government that was happening. And then the church came into power. And for a thousand years, we lived in the dark ages, where the church kept us in ignorance. And, uh, and then after a thousand years, we started doubting the authority of the church, and we became enlightened. And we learned about science. We learned about democracy and freedom. And then we had all this prosperity. And essentially, that's what the church does, is it keeps people in ignorance. It keeps them in darkness. And it is this foolish, oppressive institution. That is what our society believes about this community right here. Many people believe that. And children are trusting. Of course they're trusting. They should be trusting of their, of their mentors and their leaders. And so you just take these three things. I don't need God to understand the world. The Bible is a fairy tale that modern people can't believe in and is irrelevant. And the church is an oppressive institution that traps people in ignorance. Live in that atmosphere day in and day out. Breathe that air for years and years, and it is very challenging to come out with it, of that kind of environment with an intellectual and existential confidence in God and in his word and his church. It is hard to believe after that. It's very hard. And uh, what I've read is that 80% of evangelicals have their kids in public schools right now, and 70% of the kids that are growing up in the church, when they graduate, they leave. We are hemorrhaging the children in the, in the church in America. They are, they are leaving. Something's wrong. Now, I'm not saying it's only schooling. That's not the only answer. I have more to say on this. But this is, some parents are going to say, because of this situation, this is not a neutral institution. I'm going to, I just can't do that. So, this means that education is at the heart of our mission as a church. Okay. And I want you to look at this verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now the word that is used for discipline is the Greek word paideia. 
and which is translated discipline, but actually it's much broader. You know, when you read the word discipline in English, you think about when your child disobeys and you need to discipline them, but the word paideia is much broader than that. And this is one, uh, one commentator on the Greek text puts it this way, that a paideia is the entire circuit of education and upbringing which a child requires. And so in the ancient world, the Greeks had a paideia, which the paideia was the combination of the school life and the home life put together, that it was the full enculturation of a child of preparing them to become a Greek citizen. And so it was the teaching of the Greeks' history and the Greeks' values and the Greeks' government, and so that they were, uh, they were being built up and they were being enculturated. And what Paul is saying here is dads, you know what the Greeks do? where they take their kids and they have the schooling and they're home and they're enculturating them in Greek values, I want you to give me a version of that that's centered on Jesus. I want you to see the enculturation that the Greeks are doing and give me a version of that for your children that is centered on Christ, a paideia of the Lord. And um, train your children as citizens of Jesus' kingdom. And this is not because we are scared that our kids are going to be influenced by sex and drugs in the public schools. It is because they are going to be aged. Our children have heroic callings in the world to be lights, to be salt, to go and bring the love of Christ to many, to bring the justice of Christ to many. And they need to be equipped for that. They need to have their souls enlarged and filled with wonder at who God is and what the gospel is. And to have God's, uh, the spirit of God fill their hearts with, with Christ's love. And this is what formation should look like. Education is about the formation of your longings about the world. And who should be doing that? For our children. And it's because of this, Christians have always been champions of education wherever the gospel goes. You know, uh, N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, uh, says that the early churches, the thing that they were probably the closest comparison in the ancient world was a philosophical school. Because Christians have always been bookish people. They're readers because their God has revealed himself to them in a book. And so they've always been champions of literacy wherever they bring the gospel. We've got to teach people to read because they've got to be able to le- le- uh, learn the Bible. And that's always, um, and the reason was because Christianity is not a personal spirituality. It's, about, it's not about, you know, finding inner peace in my personal life. Christianity is about a kingdom. It is about a counter-civilization. Jesus is building a counter-civilization to the world, and Christ is the Lord and Savior and fountain of all wisdom, and we are citizens of that kingdom of heaven, and so are our children. And so when Jesus describes the mission of the church, what does he say to do? He says, you baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like we did today, and then you teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Baptism and teaching... And teaching is at the heart of our mission. That is what we are doing. And in the American church, we have viewed the gospel as being simply about my personal spiritual life. And we have not viewed the gospel as the society-shattering, society-building power that it has been throughout history. And so this is one of the reasons that as a church, we have a school. And uh, my dream for our school... So we have all these kids in our church. I know that all of the families in our church are going to make all kinds of different... Not, there's no pressure in our church for anyone to go to our school. But the dream is that we could come together and say, what is our dream for our children? What kind of formation, what kind of a longing do we want them to have about who God is, about the scriptures, and about the world? What is our dream? And let's make it. 
And you know, some people say, you know, it sounds great. Christian school sounds great, but isn't, you know, isn't that just a privilege of kind of middle to upper class families that can afford that? I'll tell you, one of the things that the church has been doing throughout history is worship services, the rich and the poor came together under one roof to worship God. And their children, the rich and the poor, came together on one roof and were educated. And that's one of the reasons why as a, it's a reason for us as a church to be behind a school is that we could make this a place where the rich and the poor come together and they're educated under one roof. And they're equipped in, to, to serve God in the world. And I should say that if you're here and you say, you know, I'd love a Christian education for my kids, we can't afford it. Go and talk to the schools. Talk to our school. Talk to the other Christian schools because they, that's what they all want. That's their vision is they want to disciple kids. Go and talk to them, and they want to make it work. We want to make it work. And so why should we have our children in Christian schools? It's first because all knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord. There is no neutral education, and we need an education that is built on the knowledge of the Lord. And so education is at the heart of our mission as a church. Now, I know for many of you, you might hear that and say, well, how could, after saying all that, how could we think that any kid, Christian kids should be in a public school? That was pretty harsh, you know, all you said about the public school. How could we ever, you know, say that a kid should? Well, all, the answers in the Bible, just like every topic, are complex. The answers about education are complex. And so this is the second thing we need to talk about is why our children should be in public schools. And there are many reasons, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna highlight three important ones for us today, okay? So the first reason is because God sometimes places his children in unbelieving schools. And you know, the Bible doesn't describe schools. I, I don't know if a school is described anywhere in the Bible. Actually, the only place it's probably described is in unbelieving settings. Moses was educated by who? The Egyptians. <laughs> And Daniel was educated by who? The Babylonians. And actually, N.T. Wright again says that, uh, that the Apostle Paul was probably educated the respected philosophical schools in Tarsus, some excellent philosophical schools. That's where he learned so much of his learning about the world and philosophy. And for each of those important figures, their training in an unbelieving setting was actually equipping them for the calling that God had for them in their life. And I'll just tell you, as someone who went to a public school, I think being in public education was, has been formative for me to be in a pastor. You know, I, I'm a pastor in a kind of unbelieving culture, secular kind of culture, and to be able to communicate the gospel, understand how people think, it's been formative for me to be in, a, uh, uh, in an unbelieving setting. And someone might say, well, you know, Moses and Daniel would never have chosen to be educated by the Egyptians and the Babylonians. But that's often the case with Christians, is that we're put in situations where we didn't have a choice. That's where God has placed us. And the thing is that God was with Moses and Daniel. That was the most important thing. And so, so for some of you kids, maybe you're in a public school and you just heard everything I said about public schools. And I've got, I've got more to say. That some good, i got good things coming, so just wait. But uh, the most important thing is you need to know that God is with you. And with Daniel, you know what he did? He brought friends. Daniel had friends where he was, and they supported him, and they prayed with him, and they talked about the Lord. And the Lord will bring you the people you need, and you trust him. God often calls us into those kinds of settings that are challenging for us. And, um, you know, a couple, uh, so there's a lot of reasons why, we might, why a Christian family might find themselves to say, I, you know, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a public school. Um, 
a couple months ago, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine who I was expecting to be very conservative when it came to the question of education. And I was expecting him to say, you know, a Christian, a Christian kids should only have a Christian education. But he was surprised me. He said, you know, oftentimes we say that there are a couple exceptions about why a Christian family should be in a public school. Sometimes uh, someone will say, well, you know, if it's a single parent home, that's all they can do. Or if someone has special needs, there's more resources for special needs. But he says there are a lot more cases when a family, it'd be appropriate for them to be in a, in a public school. And the example he gave was a family in his church where the dad was very insistent that the family homeschooled and we're going to have a Christian education and the wife, and they got a whole bunch of kids. And this wife was totally depressed. It was a dark home. And it, there was all kinds of weight and pressure put on her to educate her kids, and she couldn't do it. And the pastor was like, listen, it'd be way better for those kids to put them in the public school and they could come home to a joyful mom who has energy to love them and, you know, bring them in. And that the home is actually an enjoyable place to be is way better than, than the suffocating environment of a depressed homeschool. And so you have to get the order right. And one of the things that I've said is that this order of sermons on parenting is an order of importance. And this is the last one. And so infant baptism, God's work in our child's life and loving our children and disciplining our children diligently and discipling our children, all those things need to be in place. And also, I should say, a healthy marriage. If you have to choose between a Christian education or a healthy marriage, I'll take the healthy marriage for, uh, for Christian kids 10 out of 10 times. That's going to be way better for them. Those are the things that need to get in place. So Christian education might not be the first thing that you need to tackle in your home. And so tackle the more important things first. And so there are a lot of reasons to be in a public school. This is not even to mention that finances are a very real issue for, for, for many people. And it is possible for Christians to be overly principled in a way that the Bible is not. God in the scriptures places his children and his leaders in unbelieving education settings and he is with them in the midst of it. He gives them the blessing of his presence, okay? Now, does that mean then, if someone has their kids in a public school, they have to say, well, okay, all the good things are happening in Christian schools and we just had to settle for a public school where nothing good is happening? Is that what you're saying? Well, that's the second thing that I want to say about why we should be in public schools. Not only that God sometimes places our children there, but second, that we cannot underestimate the reality of common grace. Common grace is very real. You know, all people in every culture are made in the image of God. And God has given his grace to all cultures, whether they acknowledge him or not. He shows kindness to them. And there is goodness and beauty and truth in every culture. And so, and that's going to be, of course, true in our public schools. I mean, there's some of you, you know, we have uh, teachers in our, in our congregation that teach in the public schools. There are many Christians in the public schools. Many non-Christians who are immensely loving, love kids, serve them, serve families. And they are a tremendous uh, gift to our community. And, I, you know, I know for me, the best teacher I had was a, a math professor who is, I, as far as I know, he was an atheist. And he was so formative for me. He gave me a sense of wonder about math. I mean, he, he, I loved talking with him. I benefited. He was wise. He was funny. It was all these things. And there was a tremendous benefit. And, and if we don't acknowledge that as Christians, that there is a tremendous amount of, of common grace um, available in this community, especially in Bellingham schools, we are missing something. And so to say that public schools teach a secular humanist ideology does not mean that they have no truth or goodness in them. 
and I've, you know, I'm, my oldest daughter is going to be in a public school parent partnership this next year, you know, learning French, learning good stuff, you know, it's, uh, there's, there's many resources that, that as, as families we can benefit from, and along this line, the reality is that not all Christian schools are necessarily worth it. You know, you go to a Christian school that's legalistic, moralistic, you know, making Pharisees, that's going to be far more spiritual dead, spiritually deadly for your child than a public school. Or if it's just a school that's basically a public school education with a Bible class tagged onto it, you know, that's a lot of money to spend for the Bible class. You know, there are things that we, we, have, to con- we have to consider by considering the common grace, okay? So the reasons we might be in the public school is that God has placed us there. Or it also, we can celebrate the places of common grace that are a reality in our community, in our public schools. It is there. And in many places, it's rich. But the third thing is that our mission demands that we are a part of our community as a church. And I greatly sympathize with the Christians who say, you know, the schools in Bellingham are the center of our neighborhoods. And we're just going to take all the Christians out of all this? <laughs> How are, we gonna, we can't, how are we gonna be a part of our community? We just, you know, and if, the, if, you're, if the public schools are as bad as you say they are, are they, aren't they just gonna get worse? We, you know, all the Christians just leave and all these families, they could invest in them. Aren't we supposed to be in the world but not of the world? Aren't you constantly telling us to build relationships with our neighbors and to share the gospel and to, and to bring our neighbors into our homes? And you know, I, I had a conversation with another pastor over the, I've been talking with people for the last nine months about this sermon. It's really been formative for me. And one pastor who's a, a pastor in Indianapolis went to a church to be the pastor and everyone was in a Christian school, every single family in the church. And he had this conviction. I said, I need to be in my neighborhood. I need to be in my community. And he would say, you know, in Indianapolis, probably more than here, the administration and, and teachers tend to be more positive about the church and about the Bible and Christianity and things. But he said, I need to be in there. And so he prayed that one family from that school would come and be a part of his church so that he wasn't the only family in the, in the church with a kid in the public school. And he said the time that he left, there were 20 families from that school that were now coming to their, to their church. And, uh, and it, I hear that. That's inspiring to me. As a, as a parent who has kids in a Christian school, I believe strongly in Christian education, that's, ins- that's inspiring to me. I, I understand that. And, uh, but we have to know that that takes real active involvement to choose that mission. If God is calling you to that, you have to say, am I equipped for that as a, as a parent? Are my children equipped for that? And um, because it is a lot of work. And I would, you know, another pastor uh, that I talked to was down in, in Mount Vernon who had said that, you know, he's had his kids in homeschool, pri- uh, private Christian school, and in a public school. And he says that of all three, the one that required the most work was being in public school. It required the most intentionality. It required the most conversations. And so what we need to know is that whatever we choose for our children, it demands sacrifice from us. And that's one of the big questions that we have to face as we raise our children. Are we willing to sacrifice for them? Because if you're a homeschooler, man, you're sacrificing, right? You are, you're teaching your kids all the time. There's, you know, you got discipline and, it, you know, you can't, both parents can't work. There's, there's a huge sacrifice. If you're in a private school, the finances of it is a sacrifice, no matter, no matter who you are. I know we were doing our budget this week, and it really affects what we're going to do on vacation and things like that because there's, it's a sacrifice. And if you're going to be in a public school, 
the intentionality involvement that you have to have in your children's life and in, in your classroom and in the friends, it, it demands sacrifice. They all de demand um, our presence and sacrifice. And so this leads to the third question we need to ask. So why, why should we have Christian education? It's because all knowledge begins with the fear of the Lord, and education is at the heart of our mission. Why should we be in public schools? It's because God often places us there, and there's a tremendous amount of common grace in our community that we, we, as Christians, we have to acknowledge that God has given to our community. And also, it's a part of our mission to be in our community, to be a part of our community. But the third thing, then, is why, then, we need each other. And what you see on both sides of the education is that it comes from a place of conviction. Whether you say, my children, they need to be discipled around the scriptures, they need teachers who are mentors to them and what Christ-centered living looks like, or you say, I need to be in my neighborhood, either one of those comes from a place of conviction that you've thought through. And the one thing that we can't do is simply drift into one of these options or drift into the, the, government, the government educating our children. And so what should be the culture of education in our church? As a church, what's the, what should the culture be like? Let me give you three brief things. The first is, we should esteem one another better than ourselves. That's what the Bible says, esteem one another better than ourselves. So what that means is that if you're, if you're in a Christian school, and you look at the family who's in a public school, and you say, you know what, I wish I had that many opportunities to meet my neighbors and to bless the, parent, the teachers that are teaching the public schools and to have connections in my community, and I realize that everyone that I know tends to be just Christians, and I don't have nearly as many contacts with non-Christians, and I wish I did. I'm jealous for that. I wish I had that. And if you're in the public school, you should look at the Christian school family and say, you know what, I wish that the Bible was at the center of my child's education. I wish that all their teachers celebrated who Christ was and was modeling for them a Christian life. I wish I had that. And on both sides, if you don't have those longings, something's wrong. If you don't have a longing to be in your community and you don't have a longing to have the scriptures in, in your education, both of those, then something's wrong. And on both sides, if you don't look at the homeschoolers and say, I wish I had that much impact in my kid's life. I was walking with them. I was the primary one discipling them. I wish I could do that. Something's wrong. And so we should esteem one another better than ourselves. And as we look at each other, we should also support each other where God has called us. We need support for families who want to send their kids to a Christian school. I think that has ramifications for our budget as a church, that we want to support lower-income families who say, I want a Christian education for my kids. I can't afford it. How are we going to make that work? We can support each other. And we need support for families that are in public schools. You know, some of you, and you have your kids in public schools, one of the main things you're praying for is a Christian friend for your children. And we need to invite those kids over into our homes. If, we, if we're in a Christian, you know, homeschool or a Christian school, invite those kids over. Make them feel loved. Make them feel like they have a family here in this church. And I'll tell you, it's one of the reasons why I, I teach the youth, this last year, youth Sunday school workshop hour, I taught that class. And I'm gonna, I'm, I think I'm going to teach it if they, you know, uh, this next year. It's because I want to teach those kids, if they're kids that are in public schools, and it's Sunday is when they're hearing the scriptures, I want to be a place where they, I'm, I want to give myself to that. I want to serve them. That's the spirit that we should have as a church. And also, of course, the homeschool moms there in, in our church. It's hard work. It can be lonely at times. They need encouragement. They need the words of encouragement that what they're doing is a great work and that God is with them. And we, support them. we need to support each other. But the last thing that we need to do in our culture as our church is we need to remember that education is not our savior. 
Education is not our savior. It's one of the biggest errors of the modern worldview is that education fixes everything. And many Christians think that way. If we just got our schools right, all of our kids would be Christians. And it simply doesn't work like that. Education is powerful. Education is very important. That's why I just spent all this time on it. And yet it's not the thing that rescues us, that saves us. It is Christ alone who saves us. And when we remember that, it turns down the temperature on the whole education discussion. It becomes something we can talk about. And, we can, uh, and then we can begin to ask the question, what is Jesus calling us to do? And Jesus is calling us to build a new city, the city of God where God is in her midst. That means we're going to do things like build schools. We're building a civilization. So we've got to build schools. But also this city that Jesus is building is a city within the city. It's supposed to be a city within Bellingham mixed into Bellingham. So we have to be in our community as well. How do we do both those things? It is Christ who teaches us. And so the thing that binds us together, that gives us unity, is not our vision of education. It is Christ himself. He is who our children need more than anything. Let's pray together.